the solution lies in finding a balance between harnessing green windows of opportunities in emerging sectors and utilizing more traditional resources and technologies like natural gas. Hello, this is the Weekly Tradecast, a podcast brought to you by UNCTAD, the UN's trade and development body. I'm Sarah Toms. We're exploring major events are shaping trade and development and how that affects billions of people around the world. This week, we're looking at how African countries are trying to balance their use of natural resources for growth and the vital need to cope with climate change. The debate over how developed countries can help developing nations deal with global warming took center stage at the UN Summit on Climate Change last November. But the big question, who should pay to fix it, is still unanswered. Many of the places most vulnerable to climate change are in Africa, even though they emit only small amounts of greenhouse gases themselves. And as momentum moves to greener energy and economies, many in Africa ask why they should be criticized for exploiting natural resources that powered the growth of developed nations. At the same time, the continent needs help as climate change brings worse storms, floods, and drought. Joining me now to find out where the balance lies is Giovanni Valenzizi, an economist at UNCTAD specializing on Africa and least developed countries. Giovanni has worked in Ethiopia, Ecuador, and Syria. A passionate traveler, hiker, and photographer, he likes to document patterns of global inequalities with numbers, words, and images. Well, welcome to the show, Giovanni. Thank you very much, Sarah. Thanks for having me. So first off, who should pay and why, after all this debate, are we still no closer to answering the question about fixing climate change? So that's the billion-dollar question. I think the key problem is that the countries that have contributed the least to destabilizing the climate system are those that are often bearing the brunt of adverse impacts of climate change, particularly poorer countries in the tropical areas and small islands, developing states, obviously. So we need to look at the centrality of the common but differentiated responsibility principle, which is enshrined in all climate-related negotiations. And if we take the case of Africa, for instance, the continent contributes to between 4 and 5% of accumulated greenhouse gas emission, but at the same time, it accounts for 80% of the people worldwide which lack access to electricity. To add to this, one needs to think about the fact that developing states tend to have less capabilities to pivot readily to greener and less emission-intensive systems. How do we overcome these challenges then? Addressing the climate crisis requires rethinking of our economic system, and that implies involving a whole range of actors from different levels of governments, private sector, local communities, individual, and so on. To do that, one needs to have a clear, concrete policy framework to ensure that there's policy coherence, but also to ensure that there's a proper monitoring mechanism. And that also includes, for example, better data collection in order to fully understand and have an evidence-based approach to these challenges. What kind of impact climate change is having on African countries? And what's it like to live in some of these most vulnerable areas? We all know that climate change is likely to increase temperature in Africa, but also increase the intensity and frequency of extreme weather events, droughts, heat waves, and so on. 
It is also likely to reduce agricultural productivity. So this happens in the context of a continent where some 70% of the people lack access to clean cooking fuels, 60% lack access to safely manage water services, you have 20% of the people that are undernourished, and less than 3% of the agricultural land is equipped for irrigation. You can imagine Mm. how dramatic the impact could be on affected communities, particularly those that do not have the resilience and the infrastructure to support their adaptation. What impact would loss and damage compensation mean to these countries? The very fact that we are having this conversation after so many negotiations is a promising sign. Until now, many of the poorer countries that faced natural hazards had to cope with the situation where the hazards were actually exacerbating vulnerabilities from high indebtedness to current account deficits, uh, undernourishment, and so on. And that was triggering a cascading of the natural hazard into deeper and longer socioeconomic crisis. Now, if adequately financed and operationalized, the loss and damage mechanism could actually prevent this cascading. It may also help shifting the focus from the emergency to reconstruction and development efforts to build back better, particularly if affected communities are involved in adapting to climate change and becoming more into it. And how can African countries move to cleaner energy and protect against climate change? but still meet these ever-growing needs for food, energy and development. Now, the key issues has to lie in striking the balance between harnessing green windows of opportunities like renewable-based decentralized generation, or in some cases even green hydrogen or concentrated solar, with harnessing more traditional energy sources like gas and so on, which are available in the countries. The key issue here is that to support this transition in African countries, it pays off much more to support their access to greener technology and build their know-how. Both financial and technical assistance support play a role in accelerating this shift instead of taking a more dogmatic approach. One issue to keep in mind is also that many times renewable-based generation is already cheaper if you look at the full life cycle of the investment. But the problem in many African countries is that for renewable energy, you need to pay up front to set up the generator. And then you have far lower costs because the renewables are basically free. Solar, you, you get it from the sun. Affordability is a critical dimension, and that is why the pressure on the uh, cost of electricity, for example, has to be taken into account because we cannot demand African countries to forego sustainable development opportunities just to solve a problem that they didn't create or contributed the least to create. That is why we think that it is likely that at least temporarily greenhouse gas emission in an African context might increase. But again, if we look at it in a per capita term, they're far below even the average worldwide greenhouse gas emission. And also, we need to keep in mind that a lot of the resources that are extracted in Africa are actually exported to other countries with limited value addition. 
So the solution, in my view, lies in finding a balance between harnessing green windows of opportunities in emerging sectors and utilizing more traditional resources and technologies like uh, natural gas, for example. The Ukraine crisis is a perfect example of the complexity, but also of the fundamental importance of energy security. We've seen countries, uh, even developed economies, going back to coal-based generation in order to ensure their energy security. In the African context, obviously, energy security hinges on universal energy access, and that is why we need a balance between the two solutions. It's certainly a challenge, isn't it? Well, thank you to Unctad's Giovanni Valenzizi for being this week's guest and tune in to the weekly Tradecast next week and every week for more insights on the most pressing issues around the world of trade and development. And there's even more on our website, unctad.org. I'm Sarah Thomas in Geneva. Goodbye for now. 